0: man, EMS can learn so much from the way that the the Disney way, if you will. Um, I know that there's a book called out, What If Disney Ran Your Hospital? But I would argue that for those of you that are listening to this podcast, what if Disney ran your EMS agency? It would be totally different and probably flipped completely upside down and probably in most cases function a hundred times better.
1: So the episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are. And welcome to another edition of uh, the EMS One Stop. I'm Rob Lawrence. And this week, I am going to talk about uh, Disney i we going to talk about the wonderful world of Disney. And my guest to help me talk about that is the chief transformation officer of MedStar in Fort Worth, Matt Zavadsky. Brother, how are you?
0: Rob, it is always a pleasure to be with you. And you always teach me the proper way to speak.
1: So thank you for having me on. And once again, you said that just the way I wrote it for you. So thank <laughs> you for that. Well, you held up we're going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, you, Now, we're going, to in the, we're going to talk about Disney in a minute, but I just want you to set us up to build the level of anticipation here. So you went on vacation with the fam to Disney World, and they impressed the crap out of you, right?
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh, more so than, than I could have ever imagined. Um, you know, going as an adult, I think, is totally different than going as a 7- or a 10-year-old, and you just see things differently. It was
1: amazing. Okay, we're going to come back to that, but we want to, uh, before we do that, and... Uh, I'm looking forward to that chat, by the way, but there's some business we have to get out of the way first of all. First of all, I want to say congratulations to you as one of the recipients of the AIM High, the Academy of International Mobile Healthcare Integration Award for Excellence in uh, uh, EMS Integration. So, congratulations, sir. But before you say thank you, Rob, You're not the only one that got this award, right? So you can tell us who else got it.
0: Yeah, so our medical director at MedStar, Dr. Veer Vithalani, was also an awardee. So we are co-awardees, and it is really a a blessing and an honor to have the two award winners come from the same EMS system. It's pretty awesome.
1: That's excellent. And uh, we're going to be giving those awards out, and also along a number of other award winners, and congratulations to all of them. And we'll put them in the show notes, and obviously the links to the AIM High Facebook page, which has great photographs and great stories of these winners in the show notes. But we're going to be presenting this at Pinnacle. And uh, first of all, I have to mention that EMS One is the uh, media partner at Pinnacle. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as it's coming up. But AIM High is doing one of the pre conference sessions. Uh, you're doing, or well, you, we, me, actually, all of us are going to be there to do this in the evening and let's start by talking about the challenges or just say the questions that we're going to ask people to think about because I think Pinnacle this year is going to get everybody talking about what the hell do we do next? What are the questions?
0: We're in a pickle, Rob, as a profession. You know, we've got challenges at every corner. We've got workforce issues. We've got economic issues. We've got supply chain issues. Um, We've got all sorts of things, and the great thing about this Pinnacle session on Monday night is the people that we have on the panel from Richmond Ambulance Authority, from Medic Ambulance in Solano, Jimmy Pearson's going to be there, Dean Dow from REMSA, um, Ken Simpson from MedStar. We're talking like a a million years of experience of Chip Decker from Richmond Ambulance Authority. So, a million years of experience of people who have lived and breathed these issues for the last three plus years. And they're going to talk about things like how do they mitigate or how are they mitigating the workforce shortage? How are they mitigating ambulance delays in the emergency department? How are they mitigating the economic challenges, the supply chain challenges? And they're going to give their unique insights from their system to the audience. And the audience is going to have the opportunity to ask additional questions, drill down into things that are um, discussed or just bring up entirely new topics. And the depth and the level of knowledge and, quite frankly, the, the professionalism of the people that are going to be on that panel is like something you've never seen before.
1: And I think one of the most important things is we've spent a lot of time in the last few months talking about all the things that are wrong. We now need to start to get on the bandwagon, probably the wrong word, but of how we get all these things right, how we fix uh, how we create solutions, how we solve these problems, because patients aren't going away. Um, lack of funding isn't going away. We have to be kind of innovative, and we have to you know, really work out how we're going to navigate the life that's ahead of us. It's almost Darwinism, Matt, you know, the survival of the fittest, or those actually, Darwin said, that those who are willing to adapt will survive. Hopefully you can give us some tips on adaption, perhaps.
0: You are spot on, Rob, because this is likely our new normal, when we come out of the pandemic, if we ever come out of the pandemic, this is gonna be our new normal. And we have to figure out how to deliver expected care to the people who need it. And we are breaking molds across the country left and right. You know, in many systems, they have switched to a tiered ambulance deployment where they used to be all ALS for three or four decades. And you know, bringing up the, the subject of doing tiered ambulance deployment and having BLS units in addition to ALS units responding to nine one one calls three years ago was heresy. You would have gotten fired for bringing that up. Well, today it's the most cutting edge thing that you can do. Clinically, it makes sense. Economically, it makes sense. From a workforce perspective, it makes sense. And <clears throat> there are things like that happening all over the country. You know, we've you and I, Rob, have theorized for a long time and and sort of whined about the fact that. EMS is only evaluated by response time. Well, you know, response time is an economic discussion, right? Do you want a seven-minute response time? You write a million-dollar check. Do you want a nine-minute response time? You write a a half-a-million-dollar check. Do you want an 11-minute response time? We can do that without a subsidy. And and the city managers and the county administrators and the leaders across the country are really looking at the science now and saying, you know, maybe we really don't need an eight-minute 90 percentile response time because for... 90% Ninety percent of the calls, it just doesn't matter. And let's measure the things that do, as as a measure
1: of that performance. And and those conversations are refreshing. And allied to that, let's let's pick up uh, NEMSQA and uh, the Tagman Jarvis et al team. Also, the fact: do we need to be rushing around with our lights and sirens on all the time as well? So all of this is coming together quite nicely, then.
0: Uh, you know, it really is the joint position paper <clears throat> by those fourteen national EMS associations, physicians, managers, providers, um, fire chiefs, the AAA and AEMT, EMT coming out with a joint position statement. And, and Rob, you would probably agree with, me, agree with me that those 14 associations on any given day cannot agree on what color the sky is, but yet here they are signing a joint position that basically says, we need to stop harming the public. We need to stop harming our workforce. And be realistic with how we respond to calls. And if only 10% of the calls or 20% of the calls in your particular system are time-life sensitive, by all means, those should get a hot response from everybody. But for the 80%, 70% of the calls where time really doesn't matter, don't go hot. Don't crash. Don't hurt people. Don't diminish your workforce because you've taken two, three, four people out of your system because they've been involved in an ambulance crash that you didn't need to have happen. Those are great conversations to finally having all of these acquiesce to each other. Um, you know, the position statement, the NEMSCO project now, because this was something that Cherie um, and, and Mike Tagman and a number of folks put together before the position paper came out. But, you know, 50 agencies, five zero agencies have been accepted into a true quality improvement, quality assurance process to logically diminish red light and siren or light and siren responses from 70, 80, in some cases, there are are organizations in that group that respond currently every call hot. And the goal is by the end of the year to get those down to 30%. And it's being done in a true PDSA community assessment, stakeholder assessment, provider assessment, and, you know, we are part of that and we're blessed to be part of that, but we have learned so much through this process. We, we <clears throat> surveyed our employees, and the things that we learned from our employees about how they respond to calls and how they choose not to respond hot, even though they're dispatched hot because it's just too dangerous and they don't think the call is worth it and they can get there within a reasonable time timeframe. Um, you think it's going to be hard to change culture, but when you really start asking people you find, well, they're sort of already doing it to some extent. Um, You know, we just um, launched a large community survey that was shared by our media partners, our members' jurisdictions, asking people in a three-minute quick online survey, what should be the type of response that you get? How much time do you think an ambulance saves? This is the one that just blew me away. We asked, have have you ever seen or been involved in a crash as a result of an emergency vehicle going down the road. So far, in the hundreds of responses that we've gotten, 40% of the respondents said that they've either seen or been involved in a wake effect crash. That's good, actionable data
1: in your community. I think it's a sad state of affairs when you look at you know the EMS1 news feed particularly. Every second story is someone's hit somebody, someone's T-boned somebody, you know, when I came across from the UK, I was chatting to my old mate Jason Killins, who you now who now runs the Welsh Ambulance Service, and we, he was just agog a at the every day. There's a I, I was sending him stories every day of you know ambulance, you know, an ambulance splattered and splayed like a you know but peeled back like a banana across a freeway, which is exceptionally sad. Um, and you know, it's something we need, and it comes back to one of the things I've got a series of soap boxes, as you know, but uh, you know, if we hate being called the driver, but if you ain't the driver, who is? segwaying into sort of vehicles as well is also the fact that our vehicle manufacturers have said if you crash your truck guess what you may not get another one for a long long time and that's another burning issue that hopefully you have some ideas on and we can discuss at pinnacle and also into the wider discussion as well perhaps
0: so ambulance availability has been a real issue in the us and you know we can't replace ambulances so as you said about crashing a truck god don't don't crash an ambulance because you're not going to get a replacement we have got to figure this out and we got to think outside the box. And quite frankly, we might need to think outside of our country. We've, we've heard um, through some great channels that we have with some great leaders here in the U.S. Thank you, Rob, that many of the You're ambulance welcome. providers over in the U.K. and Europe are not having these issues. They've got plenty of supply of ambulance. So maybe we have to go across the pond and say to those manufacturers, hey, listen, I know that you build ambulances with the steering wheel on the wrong side of the cab. But if we're going to buy five, six, eight, a thousand ambulances for the U.S. market, will you build them with the steering wheel on the correct side? And then we'll just export them. You export them to the U.S. and we'll put them on the streets. Those are the things that people are going to hear discussed Monday night during Pinnacle. Um, And those are sort of the real cutting edge, out of the box, out of the country things, out of this world that we need to start thinking about or
1: maybe even doing because this is our new normal. Good answer. And uh, just to remind everybody, we're talking about Pinnacle, which takes place from July the 25th to the 29th at Marco Island, Florida. The Aim High session is on the Monday night. If you're coming in for the pre-conferences, do come in. Yep, it's absolutely free. Uh, but also, Matt, maybe we can come back and, and have a discussion about the, the, the takeaways later as well, because I think that's really important. Continuing with the education theme, Matt, coming up this week, uh, we also have another Aim High session on budgeting. So give us a teaser for that one.
0: Yeah, so this came about from a conversation during the NAEMT Economics Committee last week, which has representatives from the AAA, the IFC, AIM High, a bunch of different organizations. And during the meeting, a bunch of people said, hey, we're hearing from our constituents that cities, counties, states have funding available, ARPA funds, CARES Act funds, that they're having actually a difficult time finding uses for. So they're actually saying to these EMS agencies, hey, we've seen the TV media, we've seen the newspaper reports, we, we've talked to you, we know that you're having funding issues. How much money do you need? And we want people to have the ability to give them the right answer. Sustainable funding, what are your costs per unit hour? What are your costs per call? What are your costs per transport? Um, if you're going to change service levels, how does that affect how much money you need? So the first half of the webinar is going to be Jonathan Washko and I kind of walking people through how to estimate the costs, how to project what amount of funding that you're going to need in order to maintain good service levels and sustainability. And then Chip Decker and Linda Fredrickson, who uh, Chip is in, in a system, as you know, Rob uh, from Richmond Ambulance Authority, and they're subsidized and they have been for a long time. Chip's going to share his insight into what that battle is like every year. When you receive public funding, what are the questions that he's asked? What does he have to show to the city leadership for that funding? Linda Fredrickson at Medic uh, EMS in Davenport, Iowa, is going through a process right now of essential service designation and passing a tax levy to provide Medic with funding. So she's going to share what that process has been like. So you'll get not only sort of that cognitive information, but you'll also get some real boots on the ground realistic conversations from two AIM High members who do this
1: every day. It's going to be a great session. Chip, I know know you're going to listen to this because we're going to make you listen to this. And you are the master politician as well. And so there's a lot of politics in getting your money. And so hopefully you can cover that too. You know, Chip, those four little words, uh, which I learned from you, and we've all learned from you, all those in favor. So hopefully we'll hear a little bit more of that uh, on that webinar. Let's take a second and uh, go to a word from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Thank you for that. I think that was me giving you that message. So follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment on the platform you are listening on to give us a rating and a review. And as I've got uh, uh, Lord Zavadsky himself, hopefully we'll get six out of five stars this time around. (laughs) Now then... Matt Zavadsky, let's get back to your vacation, because it was a vacation that ended up with an amazing article on EMS1, uh, and it was called Nine Lessons from the House of the Mouse. Did you come up with that, or was that Kerry?
0: Um, it, was a, it was a collaborative effort, <laughs> but um,
1: yeah. I, Rob, when was the last time that you've been to Disney? Have you uh, ever been to Disney? Well, the, I'm going to plug the California Outlets Association Annual Conference, which is taking place at Anaheim next door to Disney. And so if you're coming, you can take an extra day and go to the uh, to the park. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Thank you for allowing me to do that plug, Matt.
0: You know, it's interesting, Rob. When when people are, EMS, are in EMS as a profession, they're never not working, right? Their mind is always going. They're thinking about things back home all the time. And what I was so blown away with at going to Disney as an adult was so many things that they do absolutely right. And I literally started taking notes and taking pictures and said, man, that EMS can learn so much from the way that the the Disney way, if you will. Um, I know that there's a book called out, What If Disney Ran Your Hospital? But I would argue that for those of you that are listening to this podcast, what if Disney ran your EMS agency? It would be totally different and probably flipped completely upside down and probably in most cases function a hundred times better.
1: And I don't want us to uh, narrate the article completely, but what I want to do is let's do a little bit of a quick fire round and I'm going to throw at you the nine headings that you talked about in the article. Give us a potted what you saw when you were on vacation and then explain what EMS can learn from that. Are you ready? Ready. Three, two, one, go. Be nice.
0: Yeah. You know, the, what, what we found at Disney was that every person, whether they were the street sweeper, whether they were the, the whoever it was, went beyond what we expected to deliver outstanding customer service and walked you from place to place they didn't tell you, yeah, go down two blocks, turn right. They literally stopped what they were doing and took care of you. And we need to do that. We have three main customers, patient, the community and our employees and if we're just nice and put ourselves in their shoes and are empathetic and and just really treat them with the respect that they deserve we'd have much better EMS agencies
1: and i'm going to quote chip again because uh, as he would always tell you you know we never get the complaint that they used the wrong gauge needle we get the complaint the medic was mean so be nice yeah just
0: be nice that's that's the heading in the article just be nice
1: number 2 hire the right people
0: you know one of the great things that's happened in the last 18 to 24 months is with the advent of more BLS units in EMS agencies across the country, there are, and I'm just going to be very frank, there are a lot of EMTs and you know, at our organization at MedStar when we were doing new hire academies in the past, we were limited on the number of EMTs that we hired by the number of paramedics we could hire, right? Cause you can't have more EMTs than paramedics. Well, so we had new hire academies of eight people. Well, in the last year, since we've been doing BLS deployment, We've had new hire academies of 20 and 30 people and applicants of over 300. So that gives you the opportunity to hire someone who has a servant's heart, not just a patch, not just a pulse, but now you can be very selective with who you're going to hire. And if you've got 300 applicants and you're looking for 30 of them, pick the 30 that have the right heart for the job, that have the right communication skills
1: and that you know are going to reflect well on your agency. And that's actually inextricably linked back to your the previous point about being nice. I can train you to be the medic, I can't train you to be nice, so therefore let's start with the nice people and work up. Absolutely right. Next up, be responsive.
0: Yeah, and over-deliver. So, you know, we, we had the experience where at Disney that there are two occasions where we needed something in our hotel room, and we told the switchboard, you know, tomorrow's fine, just, you know, we need a little of this or that. Well, in, in both cases, within 10 minutes, somebody showed up at the door with more than what we asked for. How often do you do that? How often do you over deliver to the patient's uh, or the community's expectations? I use the example of, you know, somebody has a flat tire on the side of the road or in a parking lot. Do you call help for them and say, yep, I'll call AAA and they'll be on their way? Or do you change the tire for them and, and going that extra step over delivering, changing that tire Doing the things that they don't expect is something that we need to do much better as EMS providers. Great answer.
1: Now explain to me the broken
0: window theory. You know, for years, um, city managers, county administrators have invested money to repair windows in vacant buildings. And the theory is that if, if vandals see that windows are being repaired or that there aren't any broken windows in that building, people are less apt to cause additional damage, but if they see a dilapidated building with broken windows, they're going to pick up the rock and they're going to break another window. If you keep the place looking nice, people will keep the place looking nice. And what we witnessed um, here at Disney was that, first of all, as everybody knows, the park is immaculate because they've got an army of people that pick up everything, clean everything, but more so we saw the patrons actually picking up after themselves or picking up after someone else. So really keeping your ambulances clean, keeping your headquarters clean, making them look nice, no duct tape on the dashboard, no you know, medical tape holding the headlight in. Invest the money, make the, the things look nice, make the employees proud of the vehicles that they're in and the headquarters that they're in, the station that they're in. That really matters. And if you do it well, they will help
1: keep it up. Actually, that's also classic Mark Twain. Tom Sawyer was tasked with painting the fence. He painted one post, made it look so good that everybody lined up to have a go afterwards. Exactly right. Exactly so let's right. get that fence painted, Tom. Logistics matter.
0: Yeah, so we always we often say that EMTs and paramedics save lives, logistics save EMTs and paramedics, and it's really true. Um, Disney, at, at Disney World, where we went in Orlando, they get 250,000 people into their theme park at 7 o'clock in the morning and out before 11. The, the process that they use is just phenomenal and spot on and always on time. We need to create logistics systems that support field providers, that support the organization, that work for them. And we do that by asking them, asking the logistics folks, asking the field EMTs and paramedics, how does this process work for you? What would you do different? And then listen to them because if we can really drill down and really ace logistics, everything else really starts to fall into place and makes the the fleet more reliable, the employees happier, you always have the right equipment on the ambulance. So for us, for EMS, the lesson is invest in logistics. It really does matter, and it it will reduce
1: service failures. And it made me smile and uh, feel good when I read that particular line because only last week on the EMS one-stop show, I had Superintendent Joe O'Hare from Boston EMS and we were talking logistics, and I'm going to throw that quote in once again from General Omar Bradley, who said that amateurs talk tactics while professionals talk logistics. Yep, so absolutely. let's uh, let's remember that one. Stay in character, Matt. Can you stay in character? Yeah, I, I will try, Rob. <laughs> but you know, I'm a little bit of a of a
0: cut up card. That's OCD. This was something pretty amazing. So, um, quick story. Uh, you know, we went on this particular event ride, whatever, and the the actors, the people in the in the ride really stayed in character very, very, very well, to the extent that we sort of felt a little bit nervous because they were, for the first time since we'd been, they were a little bit mean. But at one moment, the one of the characters yelled at my wife in, in fun, but really raised his voice and got in her face and asked, where's the rebel base? And without flinching, she looked right at him and said, Typhoon Lagoon. and But he stayed in character. He wanted to laugh, but he really did stay in character. And we need to do that. Our patients, our community, the person at the gas pump have a certain expectation of our character when we are an EMS provider. Stay in that character. Don't curse. Don't smoke. Don't yell at people. Don't throw crap on the floor. Um, It's sometimes hard, especially when you're seeing the fourth drunk perhaps in your shift on that particular day. But that patient deserves you to stay in character as an EMS professional and do everything that you can for that one patient. So we really have to do that.
1: That's an excellent example. And if you go to Colonial Williamsburg and you're British, they will immediately accuse you of being a British spy. They were, good at, yeah. they were good at that. I was nearly marched off and jailed. Attention to detail, Matt.
0: Yeah, so we were at the uh, one of the rides, and there was a, a mining, quote-unquote, a mining community, and they had these huge machines, and they had chemical pipes, pipes that were carrying chemicals, um, far away from, from where you were getting onto the ride. And, and I looked at one of the pipes and they had chemical markings and the chemical name. And I walked over and I looked at the chemical name and the periodic ele- elementary table that was on there. And I Googled that, that substance and the, the periodic table label that they had was correct. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a prop. There's not even probably anything in that pipe, but they went to that level detail to make the experience realistic. Those things matter to people. When was the last time that you looked at the ceiling in your ambulance? When was the last time that you looked inside the cup holders? When was the last time that you sat down with a crew at the station and asked them, how's the station? Are there things that we can be doing different? Um, is it clean? Do you have enough? Those things really do matter. That attention to detail, people notice that and, and they will give, you, give the organization credit. Um and it's just something that we need to do more often than not.
1: Actually as an aside, um, when you go to the dentist, where does the dentist put all their artwork? Exactly. On the ceiling. Right. That's what and, everybody's and On our trucks, our trucks and the patient our patients spend all the time looking at our blank ceiling. So maybe there's well, something in that. You hope it's blank because I have done this with some of our folks and you see blood,
0: you see dried medications that have been squirt up onto the ceiling. Um you hope it's just blank. It's not. Trust me.
1: Service to others.
0: Yeah. And this sort of um, encapsulated it all. You know, we had uh, something that we noticed um the Disney characters, you know, Dumbo and I'm, I'm sorry, Mickey and Minnie and all that kind of stuff. It, they, they're not allowed to talk. So they use a lot of hand gestures. Well, it took a minute, but we realized that they weren't just hand gestures. They were signing. They were using American Sign Language to communicate with kids who were able to recognize sign language. We saw it happen also at the hotel that we were in where a deaf family, deaf child uh, actually, uh, was asking for directions to the pancake house where they make pancakes. And um, one of the Disney cast members just broke out into American Sign Language and walked that kid right to where he needed to go. Um, Find those things that you can do that truly show your servant's heart and that you're doing something for someone else. Uh, I've made the commitment after seeing that. It moved me so much, um, and Tessa's working on it with me as well. We're going to learn American Sign Language because there's a lot of people in our community that can't hear or they're hard of hearing, and we want to be able to communicate with them. And it shows a commitment to those that are different than us that we want to include them just like we would anybody else. And finally, dream and encourage. And and empower others. You know, we have done a piss poor job of mentoring our upcoming EMS leaders, and we need to focus on their dreams, and we need to dream. If you think about some of the Disney movies that have now become very iconic, Frozen, Frozen 2, Brave, and Kanto, there's a common theme, and that is if if you're passionate about your dream and you're willing to work for it, you can overcome any obstacle and, and fulfill your dream. We need to not only do that for ourselves, but we need to empower our other team members to not only take our place, but to be better than we are. And if they want to do something that's outside of our organization and you know it and you welcome it and you say, hey, you know, the EMT that you hire, my eventual goal is to be a firefighter EMT or firefighter paramedic. Great. Give us a couple years. We'll put you through paramedic school. You'll become very marketable, a lot of experience, and we'll give you some good references and refer you to some local fire departments. Help them fulfill their dreams. You will have much better workers and you'll feel better because you're not holding people back.
1: You're actually empowering them, even if it's not within your own organization. Another one, that was something else that I related to because I've just uh, done the, the pre-work on this year's EMS survey, which, of course, Greg Freeze and co. will discuss at Pinnacle. My commentary on that was that in this particular one about mentoring in particular, we do a really, really bad job. And, uh, you know, we achieve, we manage to achieve in a lot of our staff, the Peter principle. In other words, we promote somebody to a level of incompetence. And sometimes, they inevitably, they fail. And they go, oh, my goodness, he's a great paramedic, but he's not a good supervisor. And the reason for that is because we haven't trained you to be it. Correct. Let's get our our leadership training right. Uh, and certainly, that's something that in this series of podcasts I'm doing now, is to bring leaders in to talk about how we train people to be leaders. Because if we don't pass it on, you know, it's not going to happen.
0: And, and having formal succession plans. You know, I, I have um, two folks in the, within our organization that are on a succession plan. It's in writing. We discuss it once a month. We um, help them learn other parts of that organization and, and other roles within the organization. But, and, and they love it because they know there's a plan for them. I'm going to take Matt's job. I'm going to take Ken's job. I'm going to take whatever it is. Um, you have to work the plan, put it in writing and really work it it makes a big difference
1: that's a bit like asking an organization how big's your recruitment budget versus your retention budget how many people do you have on pips versus how many people have a you know a progression plan brilliant there we go that was a quick fire round of uh, your experience at disney uh, amazing can i come with you next year please um and uh, share that experience with you um, well, I
0: think we should do it as part of the CAA annual conference, Rob. We'll be in Anaheim. We'll just play hooky one day and go to Disneyland.
1: I've ordered a long rope ladder so we can get over the wall, Matt. It's going to be great. <laughs> anyway, listen, mates. as always, it's a pleasure having you on on the show. And uh, I, I hope we will do some recording and, and talk about uh, Pinnacle uh, afterwards. But in the meantime, how can we follow you? How can, oh, You're everywhere, but uh, tell us how we can get in touch, where we can where we can catch you at. Sure.
0: I, I think the easiest thing to do is just to go to MedStar's website, medstar901.org. All, all of our contact information for our whole team is right off the homepage. Um, we also have a great Twitter feed, our MedStar EMS info Um or just come on to EMS One, and my contact information is
1: right in the columnist area. You're very Googleable, Matt, so that's uh, that's good too. My standard end question is there anything I haven't asked or anything you wish to add?
0: Uh, no, I just hope that people who listen to the podcast will truly take to heart some of these um, things. Learn at Pinnacle. If you're going to be there, come to that session, go to the webinar. It's going to be phenomenal, great actionable information, um, and, and read the column. It, it, you'll find those little pearls of things. Um, and you know what? Take your family on vacation to Disney World and watch what happens.
1: That's a great advert uh, for our friends at uh, Disney. For the moment, uh, Matt, thank you very much, mate. Uh, as always, you follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at UK UKRobL1. I'm there. Matt, until next time, thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. Take care, sir. He's been Matt Zavadsky. I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been EMS One Stop. And until next time, bye for now.